You're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. Today's episode will be a part of our People Leader Series, where we go behind the scenes with today's top HR leaders and talk to them about how they've gotten to where they're at and what they really do every day. Our guest today is Noreen Zobel, Chief People Officer at CrossBoundary. Welcome to the Modern People Leader, Noreen. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. So you have a really amazing story, and I was going to actually hit on a few of the things, but I, I don't want to steal your thunder because it's we've heard a lot of unique <clears throat> journeys on the show, but you have a particularly unique story, and so I'm really excited for you to, to be able to share some of that with us today. So I want to start at the beginning. So at, at university, you studied African-American studies. I think you're the first interviewee that, that had an undergrad in African-American studies and is now uh, a people leader. And so <laughs> tell us about your journey from there. How, how did you even select African-American studies as a major? Yeah. So it was actually African history, which I don't uh, know if that's... African uh, history. Yeah. <laughs> So sure, I uh, I'm from Florida. I grew up in a in a very small town. We're talking like a, a one gas station, no stoplights kind of small town. Wow. And I completed my undergrad from the University of Florida. And I I actually remember sitting in in orientation, freshman orientation with with my mother and and the rest of the sweaty young adults sitting there with their parents. And I, I remember confidently declaring pre-med. Like I was so sure of myself. Wow. Um, so originally you were pre-med. Oh, yeah. Very sure. <laughs> very sure that that was going to be my path. And, you know, you're full of like excitement and ambition. And I don't even think I gave it much thought. But I'm from one of those small towns where you have only a few images of what success look like looks like. Sure. And so that that was my idea of what success was. And I, and I will tell you that I did not enjoy it very much. And so fast forward a little bit, I was, you know, confused and, and not really enjoying class. And I'm sure like many students at university of what I really wanted to do and what I was passionate about. And I had the opportunity to attend this conference called the Florida International Leadership Conference. And one student from each school in Florida attends. And so I went on behalf of UF. And one of the facilitators during this retreat, his name was James Kasaga Arinatwe. He had us gather around the first night and he proceeded to tell us his personal leadership story. And I remember it being one of extreme hardship. He was from Uganda and he had lost his entire family, like siblings, parents, everyone. And he also had so much hope and conviction and desire to make an impact. And his story was so powerful and I spent so much of the rest of the weekend getting to know James and, and his story. And I left that weekend feeling so inspired. And I remember returning back to, to school and just asking myself tons of questions like, 
what am I passionate about? And what is it that I want to be doing here? And how am I spending my time? And, and that same week I changed my major to history because I loved history and I loved reading. And I ended up focusing on African history. And I also started a nonprofit at my university. So we raised wow. money to build a school in Uganda. And so meeting him, just meeting this one person that weekend really changed my whole trajectory from here. And so then I graduated with no real skill set, <laughs> except for a major <laughs> in African history. <laughs> and um, a lot of passion. And a, and a ton of passion and needed to figure out what to do about it. And so I did, I did go to Uganda after graduation just to see it and feel it and, and, you know, understand what we had done. And then I joined AmeriCorps. So I basically did a year of service in the U.S., worked for an organization called Rebuilding Together. We repaired homes for elderly homeowners. I always joked that year that my best friends became elderly homeowners. Um, (laughs) There was this woman, Lily, who lived near me in Redwood City, California, and she would always give me lemons, tons of lemons from her lemon tree. And then I would always re-gift her back lemon bars. And she would, she lived alone and she would sit around and tell me stories of her late husband and children. And so after my year of service, I joined Teach for America on staff. And I think it was the third job at Teach for America I had applied to. And I actually wanted the development coordinator job. I remember vividly because it sounded sexy. And I was interviewed for two jobs, the development coordinator and the operations coordinator. And I did not want to be the operations coordinator. I was like, oh, what is that? (laughs) And I think about it now and laugh about it now because it was another one of those moments that really set me on my path to where I am. And it, and I laugh about it because I think about me in front of donors now and it would just be terrible. And so the woman who interviewed me must have known me way better than I knew myself at that point because I ended up loving the operations coordinator job. I was basically the office manager. And I was so delighted to, to ensure that people can show up to, be, to work every day and have what they need and, and fix the copy machine for them. And I often speak to my admin staff now and our office managers, and I love to tell them the story of, hey, that is exactly where I started 15 years ago and, and how our purposes are also so similar. Like we are both here to ensure that our staff members can show up to work every day inspired and in a, in a place that feels safe and, and that they have everything that they need to ensure that they can fully focus on the job that we hired them to do. Like we, we really do have the same purpose. Um, and so I was at TFA for close to four years in different roles. So um, operations, strategy, and talent. I had the opportunity to start working with um, our recruitment team, and then I moved into a business partner role. And then from there, I just I wanted to go back to Africa, and so I eventually moved back to run an orphanage for close to a year. Wow! And so uh, with Teach for America, where where were you? Were you in the states? I was. Yeah. Here, and then you you're like, all right. 
I've got a few years of work under my belt. Now it's time, you know, that, that passion for kind of this mission of sorts came back to you and you, you, you fly back to Africa. Exactly. Yeah. Except I was this in... time to live. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So headed back to Uganda, the same community actually that I had spent some time with, they had opened an orphanage. There were 22 kids in the program. They had just built uh, a house for the kids to live at. So there were nine kids living in the house at the time. And they wanted someone to come in and basically support and run the operations, get the books going, and then hire staff to then run it. And I was like, great, that sounds perfect. I'd love to do this. And so um, my time there was unforgettable, truly. Uh, It was in many ways the most challenging job I've ever had, Um, you know, taking care of that many children is incredibly challenging, especially when you've never had a child on your own. But it was, it was just, it was inspiring. Like we shared and made our own traditions together. One Christmas I had stockings sewn for the kids and they thought it was hilarious. Like they've never had stockings and we hung them around the house and they just thought it was the funniest thing ever. Um, Were they just like, you know, why do we have these socks, what is these this? ginormous yes, socks everywhere? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> they thought it was so funny. We would like do yoga outside and they also just got a kick out of that. My friend taught yoga, but then community members started coming and joining it. Like after a while, they actually loved it. And then the kids would have concerts at night, you know, candlelit in the house because we didn't have lights and they, they would teach us how to cook chapati and we would make guacamole. And, you know, it was just like so many amazing memories. Um, probably the best one and the one I'm most proud of is taking all 22 of them to the dentist in one day. I've yes, got two many... little ones. I can't imagine <laughs> that must have been a, quite a situation. It, it was. It was quite a feat. I think one of my proudest moments. I took them to the a pool the pool after for a swim and and sodas which I know is probably doesn't go well after you found out you've had a cavity but I felt like everyone deserved a little treat after that day so yeah I after we I spent almost a year there and kind of you know we hired staff and then it was it was time to to go and I ended up uh coming back to the U.S. and joining a startup and was there for two years in Chicago, running and, and helping launch a startup in Chicago that was based in New York. What kind of, and, what kind of startup is this? Yeah, it was a beauty tech startup. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Uh, very focused. Very focused. And I learned many lessons. I think the, the biggest ones were, there were so many aspects of the startup life that were, intriguing to me and that I really enjoyed. Like I loved the pressure. I loved getting to create and build things like system. I mean, just nothing existed. So I loved, I loved just getting to create and build. I realized how much I loved managing. Like I had a team of over 20 staff members and that to me brought me so much joy. And I knew that was something that I wanted to continue doing. And then the thing that I realized that I, uh, that I did not love was I I knew that I needed to be doing and working for a company or an organization 
that had a mission that was impactful and meaningful to me. And that place did not. And it was hard for me to be there and work in a place that I didn't, that didn't speak to me. Yeah, and I can only imagine that that's like a big change from being in Africa, you know, at an orphanage, like that whole immersed experience to then zoom out into the startup world. I can see how that would be a big, a big change. But the the startup seems to have taken you even further down like a true HR path. Is that right? Is that like the beginning of building your, your, your skill set in the, the people function? Yes, there was, you know, we, I hired that whole team. So in terms of actual like hiring and onboarding and training and developing, yes. I I would say at at Teach for America, it was, there was definitely HR aspects of my role, like business partner aspects. And I worked a lot with talent recruitment, but this was more HR focused, definitely, or, or people focused. Yeah, it was a, an amazing experience and I got to work with some incredible people and then the company sold. So I was basically then back on a plane to Africa after that, straight to Rwanda into my next role, which was at One Acre Fund, an organization that I think incredibly highly of, loved, amazing mission. They're doing incredible things for farm families and got to be in a role that I that I. Um, really enjoyed working basically eventually as their head of people or people division director. So now I was overseeing HR and training and development and corporate operations. And so I was in Rwanda in that role for about three years. Again, just like getting to manage and develop teams and had this incredible leader. His name's Eric Pullman truly inspirational. And then that has led me here to cross boundary where I currently am. Wow. What a journey. And so are you, your home residence now is in Africa. So now you're permanently resided in Africa. Yes, that's correct. So I was in Rwanda for two and a half, three years, and now I'm in Kenya in Nairobi. That's so awesome. That's so awesome from, you know, where you began to where you are and along the way, I'm sure you had people like asking you, are you crazy? Like what, <laughs> what, what are you going to do? And um, you just kind of stuck with it. Um, you know, what advice do you have for like the people out there that are like meandering their way through like the early part of their career? Cause you know, from this side, it like seems all like deliberate and planned, like perfectly executed, but I'm sure that wasn't the case. So what, what did, advice do you have for people out there? Yeah, it definitely was not deliberate. Um, I think for me, it's thinking about what what are the things that are most important to you? And so for me, it was also, it's a learning experience. I think I had, I had worked for nonprofits for a while. And then at the point where I, I, I decided to work at the startup, the question for me in doing that was, do I always have to work for a mission-driven company? Like I, I went into that thinking, okay, let's try something new. So I know, is this a core requirement for me? I knew that going into that startup, that was something that I was trying to understand for myself. Um, and I tried to convince myself that the mission was like somewhat interesting, but I knew then coming out of it, 
okay, now I know that going into my next role, like this is top of, of extreme importance to me as I'm finding my next role. And so I think every experience that you have and every employer that you work for, when you leave that experience, you should be recalibrating those things for yourself. Like what, what are those top three things that you're looking for in your next employer and your next role? And when you go into that interview, you are interviewing that, you are interviewing that company and that person just as much as they are interviewing you. So you should make sure that you are asking those questions. I love that. I, I'm a big believer in the self-reflection and like just creating a space to understand like what, what's motivating me, what is driving me, what has created this experience that I'm joining or leaving is, is a great way to just, you know, get, uh, wrap your thoughts around like, you know, what, what is right for me and, and what is right for my career. Um, so I think that is, that's solid, solid advice. And so, you know, seeing as though you got a lot of clarity that you need a mission driven culture and business that you're working for, tell us about cross boundary. What, what are you guys doing there? I'm sure this is, you know, not a lot of our audiences heard about cross boundary. So what, what's, tell us about the core business. Sure. So our mission at Cross Boundary is to bring private capital into underserved markets. We're currently in 17 cities across the world, and we have almost 130 full-time staff members and many open jobs in case anyone is interested in joining us. And so we have four platforms across the firm that we use to actually drive that change. And so I'll highlight those briefly. The first is Cross Boundary Advisory. And basically, this is where our team is acting as uh, advisors to investors, entrepreneurs, and policymakers in these markets, and then providing transaction and investment advisory services. The next is called Cross Boundary Energy. It's our first direct investment vehicle, and it invests capital to provide enterprises with cleaner cheaper and reliable electricity. Then we have Cross Boundary Energy Access, which was our second direct investment vehicle. And it invests blended capital directly into mini grids, which are then serving rural African communities and, and households. And then our newest, which is not yet featured on our website, but I'm very excited about, is called Cross Boundary Educational Infrastructure. And it seeks to provide affordable student housing and related infrastructure currently in East Africa. And then of course, the backbone of all of this is our, our, our support teams, right? And so yeah. basically all of our support teams sit within the group and then support all of those four platforms. And so we have all of the, all of the teams that you would currently think of, so, you know, legal, IT, finance and operations, admin people, all of those teams currently sit within Cross Boundary Group and, and support the entire firm globally. Well, yeah, I can see why you're attracted to, to, to Cross Boundary. You know, now you've you shared a little bit more. I mean, it, it's like mission on mission on mission. There's like so many interesting things that you guys are doing. Um, I can see- I've hit the jackpot with the firm. Yeah, it's an amazing, um, that's honestly how I feel about having found Cross Boundary. I think my role 
first of all, my role, like being the first of anyone to come in and get to do the work, I feel like I'm continuously getting to um, build and create. And when I first joined, I thought I will get to do this because I am the first, right? And so that was so Mm -hmm. appealing because it reminds me of being at a startup. But then I realized that my founders and just our our values and our virtues that we live by and that are so important to us, we give an immense amount of responsibility to anyone who takes it. And so um, regardless of role or tenure or title, like we are very comfortable giving responsibility and ownership to anyone. And so it's not only me, it's like anyone can do it. Yeah, and you've recently been promoted to chief people officer, is that right? I have, yes. And I'm sure it sounds like you've been operating kind of in that with those responsibilities, but now the firm has like, you know, acknowledged like, okay, we're at a point where we need to make this formal. And um, and and also you probably at your point in building the team that it's like, all right, it's time for us to go to the next level. And so what has that been like the last few months? It sounds like you've been pretty busy. We have. We are growing. Um, it feels like we are always growing. We, gosh, when we closed for the pandemic, I think we were close to 70 staff members and now we're 130. So just an incredible amount of growth, at least it feels like for me and my small team during the pandemic. We were nine offices then, and now we're in 15 cities. And so just, just a lot of growth in, in a, during a time when we've all been shut down. Um, and so, yeah, we're growing across the board. You know, our, our shared support services teams are growing, obviously, to keep up with the growth of all of our other teams. Um, our energy team is growing. Uh, yeah, across the board, we're, we're just seeing, we're seeing growth in, in, new, in new geographies and, and within all of our functional teams. So 70 to 130 employees, nine to 15 cities, it feels like y'all are just growing at this crazy rate and expanding into new countries and locations. Uh, has that been difficult in terms of recruiting? I, I know a few minutes ago you mentioned, and we have a lot of jobs uh, that are open. So <laughs> tell us more about that. How, how has that been recruiting for all of those new positions? I would say yes and no. Yes. It is difficult to, it is more challenging to recruit in new geographies because we don't necessarily have deep networks in those places. And then I think it also depends on the country itself. Um, You know, what does the talent pool look like in that country? Is the place that we're recruiting in a city or is it rural? Like all of those things definitely matter. I think also if it's, if it's, we're, we're recruiting for our data analytics team, like it also depends on if it's a specialty role or a more general role. And so all of those things complicated or make it less complicated. And then I will say like our partners are incredible. They spend, we together spend a ton of time thinking about recruitment and people. And it makes my job so much easier because they're so invested. And then the reason that I say no is because our recruitment is so integral to everyone's work at CrossFoundry. And it's 
unlike any other place that I have been, each team is an owner of their own recruitment process. And so my role and my team's role is very removed, slightly removed from the process. We basically just centralize and move people through the process, but we rarely participate in phone screens, in screening resumes. We are making sure that like jobs are posted, that people are moving through the process, that they're having a great experience and that like we are coaching hiring managers to make sure that, you know, they understand the process and are following it. Um, but other than that, we've, we really believe that teams and managers are best positioned and best placed to be speaking directly to their candidates. And that at the end of the day, they're, they're the right people to be making the decision on who's joining their team. And so it's a lot, it's, it's still a good amount of work for us, but it's a lot less than having us screen all of those resumes and do first round interviews. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So I, I imagine when, when y'all were smaller, it was easy to, uh, make sure that the culture of cross-boundary was, uh, um, you know, shining through with these new people that you're bringing into the team. How, how have y'all been able to scale that? I imagine that's difficult. Yes, it is something we talk about all the time. How do we make sure that it's shining through? Well, we, our values and virtues are they're not, it's not just something that's on a piece of paper or in a PowerPoint deck for us. We actually just revisited our values um, several months ago and we rewrote them together as a firm because we realized, you know, we went back to it and we said, when were these created and by who? Um, and it's time for us as a firm to come together, relook at them and make sure that they still feel true to us as we are today. And so we went through a whole process of rewriting them. And we talk about them all the time. Like they really do live in our culture all the time. And our partners do such a great example of, of just leading by those values. Like they, it's, it's not just talk. It's, you know, it's, we, we lead by, by those. And I think that our leadership team is, is really strong and, and we we're so cognizant of, um, of how we carry that culture through our different regions. And, and we know that it looks a little bit different in each place. And I think that's healthy and normal. Um, we also try to bring people together often as much as possible, like whether that's via Zoom uh, because we've been in a pandemic or you know, when we can get back to it, we have an annual retreat every year where we fly everyone together. And I think that's also important for us to, to see each other's when we can. Yeah. So I know that you're in 15 different cities and depending on the city, you know, the, the situation with pan the pandemic is slightly different. How, how are y'all managing, you know, this transition as people come back into the office? Is it a case by case type of deal or how does that, how has that been going? Yeah. Great question. It's going slowly. <laughs> um, we are, We've remained very conservative, like like others. Uh, I think we we closed our offices in March. Everyone went to, to to remote work. We are, I would say, purely from a work perspective. You know, as we know, everyone's has adjusted to a new uh, a new normal. 
I, I remember in December we were, um, our DC team was um, making wreaths over Zoom together, led by two lovely ladies in Europe. And now two weeks ago, they sent a photo of them together on a scavenger hunt throughout DC. And it was like, you know, kind of the first time we saw a team back together in person, it felt so good. Um, I you bet know, it we was all like, wish oh we my there. God, we can, people can be together like this, <laughs> this can happen. I know we were all like that feeling of like all wanting to be there with them. It just felt, I felt so happy to see people together. Um, you know, as much as many of us are itching to get back to offices and see each other and on planes, you know, there are still people who want to be at home. And so um, tactically speaking, we are, we're looking at several things as we consider opening, reopening offices. It is on a office by office basis. We are looking at um, government regulations, number of staff members fully vaccinated, the state of COVID in that country or city. Um, and then we're making decisions on if we think it's safe to open the office and we're remaining flexible. Like we've all had to been, like we've all had to be over the past, you know, 16 months. We are not going to likely ever go back to working five days in an office unless somebody wants to. They're absolutely welcome to, but it will never be required likely ever to be in an office five days a week. And we have a few offices now that are open. Uh, and so, again, it's kind of exciting to see some people back in the office and, you know, we'll, we'll, we will continue to monitor the situation as needed. And that's, that's how we're responding right now. So you're, you, uh, you're making this all sound, um, you know, really, really. You want to come work in our office, don't you? You're you're making this sound really easy. And to, to give a little bit of background for our audience, um, you know, at Cross Boundary, you are competing with top tier, talented top tier consulting firms you're competing with all the big investment banks and you're just out there recruiting people, retaining people at a time where all we hear on this show is how are we going to keep our best talent? How do we position ourselves in, you know, this, the future of work, whatever that means for our own business. And, and what I love about, um, about this conversation, Maureen, is it's like business as usual for you guys. And so what do you think has, um, what do you think has allowed that? What's enabled that for you to be so successful during a period of, of change? Well, you know, I would say one thing is that given the, the business that we're in, we, there's just been an immense need for the work that we do. And so, you know, I think we're incredibly grateful that there has been an increase in demand for the work that we do. And so we've been able to continue to hire and expand during a time where many people have lost their jobs. And so I think, you know, we're, we're incredibly grateful for that. I think from a like retention standpoint, I really believe that we have a special culture here. And 
one thing that that we have shown over the past 16 months is that we put our people and their health and safety and well-being and their families health and safety and well-being first you know i think we've sent ongoing communications about covid like i mean all the time every week and it's all the communication is like how do we take care of you better um, how do we support you in getting a vaccine? Um, I mean, how do we, you know, everything is about the most important thing right now is, is you and your, and your family. And that has, and, you know, our staff members reach out all the time and, you know, their responses are always like, this is why I work here. Like, I love working here. Thank you so much. Um, and so, yeah, I think you can say that you put your staff members first. And I think many companies do, but I think it's been a test for many people and many firms over this time to, to really show up for their employees. And I, and I feel really proud of the things that we've been able to do and, and how we've really handled the situation. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. We we had the uh, CHRO of, at Eventbrite, David Hanrahan, on our um, he was our previous our previous com- uh, conversation, and he was walking us through how important trust is. And I think what you what what I'm hearing from you, Noreen, is that in a period of you know a lot of challenge and change, that you've you know kept the employee. First, you have you have communicated frequently and authentically, and uh, and it sounds like you built trust with your people. And uh, and so I uh, I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts on like trust in this? You know, as we navigate through, you know, what whatever the future of work is for our own organizations, you know, what are your thoughts on like the importance of trust? In, in your business? Yeah, I think it's everything. Um, you know, we often talk about like emotional, like how to, how to feel safe at work. And um, yeah, I think trust is, is everything. It's so important. I think, you know, our leaders at the firm have really demonstrated also like vulnerability. And I think that has been also um really important, but I, I, yeah, I think staff members knowing that, especially in this time where nothing is constant and everything is changing and you feel like you don't have much control over anything, knowing that you can both lean on your employer, that they will be there for you and that you can trust them is hugely important. Um, and this was a real test, I think, to, to see if, um, it was a real test for us. And I think, again, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm happy with how we've, we've handled it, but yeah, I think, I think trust is hugely important. Well, and at your size, so you guys are, you have a, a really broad geographic footprint for, for such a, you know, relatively small firm at this point. And, and so doing that with, you know, a significant amount of employees, but then also doing that over, you know, a pretty large geographic spread, I think is really, really impressive. What are your, some of, some of your lessons learned in coordinating, you know, in, in, I guess, navigating the ship 
in, in such a difficult time, during such a difficult time in so many different countries and locations? Uh, a lot of communication. You know, thankfully we have office heads in, in all of our offices. And so um, we have, you know, we've just been in close communication with every office lead about, you know, what's going on on the ground, right? Like we can read as much as we want to about the situation, but being able to truly understand what's going on on the ground from people who are there, from the office leads, um, it's just been really helpful in, in navigating our response. And so just having that tight knit communication between, you know, the partners, myself and, and the rest of the leadership team has been really critical in, in figuring out how we want to respond and navigate. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's probably the, the biggest thing. Um, and then, yeah, I think, you know, like some of my, my partner, my boss, Matt Tilliard, he's the, the co-founder and, and managing partner. He would like once a month, literally reach out to every staff member of the firm to check in on them. And it's like, you know, not any, I'm like, that's the thing I should be doing, but it's just in his nature to check on everyone. And so once a month, even to me, you know, I get a slack to be, just be like, hey, just want to check in and make sure that you're doing okay. Is there anything else that the firm can do for you right now? Like once a month so awesome. during the pandemic. And that's just who he is as a leader, is that he just wants to make sure everyone's doing all right. And is there anything else that we can be doing? And that's, I think that's just a really good example of like the way that we operate and operated over the pandemic and like just the culture that we have. It's just checking in on each other and making sure like if there is something else we could be doing, we will do it, you know, within realistic means. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's just a great example of like how, how, how it was going over here. Love it. So a few weeks ago when we caught up, I could hear the excitement in your voice when you were talking about some of the work that your team is doing or that your diversity committee is doing. I think you mentioned like a 16 hour workshop series. <laughs> so tell us more about that. Yes, the 16 hour workshop series. I will say when I pitched the 16 hour workshop series, everyone was like 16 hours. Are you kidding? It's two full you know, days. A, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there was a little bit of pushback on how long it was going to be. Um, Cause I think at the time the firm hadn't, I don't know if the firm had had many like mandatory trainings. And so 16 hours was a lot, but I, I used my persuasion skills and convinced them that it couldn't be any shorter than that. Cause these things take time. Uh, so yeah, the committee is doing a ton of really exciting work when now, uh, work right now. And, um, I actually just had an offboarding chat with one of our employees who is, uh, leaving to go to Stanford business school. And I, I actually asked her, the question I asked her was, uh, did you have the tools and resources that you needed while you were here to be successful in your job? And she said, she said, yes, but why are we only getting these DEI workshops now? 
they were so helpful. And she basically said like, they were so helpful and, you know, she didn't realize what she was missing until she had it. And that had, it had truly changed her interactions with her clients and the other staff members here. And I was like, wow, that's really powerful. Uh, and I, I'm sorry that we didn't do them sooner, but um, I just thought it was like such a powerful thing that she felt it had really shaped her interactions with everyone. So to dive into the workshops a bit, um, all of our team members were required to attend four workshops. So each one was four hours long. Um, and they were hosted by external facilitators that we hired uh, who are based in South Africa. Uh, we, each group was like 20 to 25 people. We tried to keep them as, as compact and small as possible. Um, and then we had like various, you know, there were various breakout groups and stuff. So you could actually have deeper conversations. Um, I was actually part of a group that was, in a time zone that was not mine. And so I would just, I remembered waking up at like, you know, two in the morning, sitting in the dark with coffee, like freezing, you know, um, but just so excited to get on Zoom with my colleagues and, and like have these vulnerable face-to-face -face conversations um, and get to know people who I didn't really know that well. Uh, and it was, it was just really a beautiful experience. And at the end, people were like, we want more. I would have gone for longer than 16 hours. I mean, the, wow. the feedback was like, the, we did surveys after each one. And then at the end, almost all of it was positive. Yeah. I mean, people wanted more hours. What, you know, if you don't mind me asking, what, what did some of these conversations look like? I'm curious, like, sure. you know, what were these vulnerable conversations that y'all were having? Yeah. So the series um, was, it, it basically each workshop built on the next. So it started off with like context building and just building um, like a safe space and, and trusting relationships with each other. And then the next one went to uh, conversations around identity and power and privilege in the workplace. And then we went to discussing race and microaggressions and racial literacy. And, you know, like within these, we're talking about real examples, both in like life and work. And, um, and then the closing session was so powerful. We, you know, everyone wants action. And I warned the facilitators, I was like, listen, we're an action oriented group, you know, everyone wants to jump to action, but like make them be uncomfortable because this work is not about, you can't just fix it, you, you know? But I was like, they're gonna want some sort, something to do at the end. And so the closing, the closing session, we, um, it's just about like, how are we gonna create change across boundary? And what are the things that we're gonna do? And um, it was facilitated so well. And people were like, that was an amazing closing session. I, you know, I can't wait for the next conversation. And it felt like it wrapped it all up. And yeah, it was, it was so great. And so basically what we did was we pulled all of the, all of the information that came from the last session. And then the committee used all of that or the things that were talked about the most to, to set our goals for the year and to decide what we were gonna focus on for the year. And so, you know, we came back to the whole firm and we said, 
thank you so much for all of these amazing ideas. Here are the ones we're prioritizing because they were discussed the most often. And these are the ones that we're gonna work through. Um, and so that's what we're working through now. And then because it was so powerful, we, um, we now have like 40 new staff members or I think it's 40 who have joined who haven't gone through it. And so they're about to start going through the same session. And then we are gonna do a whole session with everyone that's new all together to bring us all together again. Um, and that's gonna happen in September, the full group session, so. I, I love how personal you made it, you know, to where it was real conversations, real life examples. I've gone through unconscious bias training that's more like in like a driver's ed format, you know, like where you just log into like a online module and you watch videos and at the end you have to take a test. And it was very informational and I, I think I learned something, but I feel like it would have been way more powerful had, you know, we broken out into smaller groups and actually talked about it and talked about like our, you know, uh, experiences in life where we've experienced something like that, how we handled it, you know, how we could handle it going forward. I just like that's so powerful. So kudos to you and your team for doing that. So I have a bit of a curveball question and, you know, this is just something that came out of a conversation that I was having with a friend the other day. And, um, this is a friend just for some context that when the pandemic hit, he decided that he was going to move from Austin, Texas to Lake Tahoe. And he has basically reconfigured his, his life um, because he's allowed to, the, the pandemic has allowed him to do that. So now, you know, he, he wakes up really early, wakes from like 6.30 or 7 till 2 or 3 and then, you know, the rest of the day he's hiking, he's skiing, he's doing all of these things. Like he's doing things that he's passionate about. And he said something, he goes, um, I think when we look back at this, this time, you know, 10, 20 years from now, you know, right now it might not feel like, like it does feel like, you know, a lot of things are shifting and changing, but we're still in it. So I don't think we realize the magnitude of it. He's like, I think when we look back at this in 10, 20 years, we're going to realize just you know, how big of a shift we were going through in 2020, 2021. And I'm just curious, when, when we do look back in 10, 20 years, what do you think is going to be like the one thing that, you know, is like, wow, like that really changed during the COVID time? Mm. I know I'm putting you on the spot here, so. <laughs> oh, it's a good question. I, I mean, so I have, I have two answers. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, cause I'm like, gosh, so many things have changed. I, I think it's personal. You know, I think it's like each person will have a personal answer. Cause I think it's personally how during that time, like what for you was the biggest thing that changed? Like for me, I'm like relationships for me. Um, it just changed relationships, you know, like I, I think a lot of my relationships changed because I didn't get to see anyone and it was harder. And I just think of that time. And I think of like being in a small apartment in New York city and like, 
it was scary and I didn't see anyone and um and it was beautiful too you know like I was recently married and so I thought we would be apart for a while and I was like oh okay I guess we're gonna really get to know each other now uh 24 7 working and living <laughs> in a very small space <laughs> um but that's a relationship too you know and so yeah, I would say relationships, you know, like, of course, I'm like work changed drastically and that there's so, yeah, there's a, I have a lot of answers, you know, my life, you know, I'm like, I didn't get to travel. I love to travel. Um, so I think there's a lot of answers and I think it probably just depends on the person. I don't know, Stephen, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that um, we, we are, the biggest change for me looking back is how there's there was this mass event that caused us all to re-examine and rewrite like our social contracts. You know, the contract that we have with life around what, you know, how am I gonna work? How am I, how do I value my time? Who do I include, you know, who do I want to be in this mix of work and life? I think his, it's all going to be rewritten. Um, and, and not necessarily like totally, you know, changed for some, like, it's like, oh, like the stuff that I thought was really, really important was actually, is actually the most important stuff. Like it, it, it's like further confirming, you know, when we knew, but for a lot of us, it's like, oh, wow those things that I thought mattered actually don't matter at all. Like, what am I doing here? It's like, you know, Daniel, your friend who has moved and has changed the way, you know, that they, they are, you know, allocating their time to work and what, you know, playtime means. And so I think that's going to be the, the, the biggest thing, because I think there are people that are wired to do that just naturally, like Noreen, you're kind of like in your story, I hear a lot of, like well, I, I reflected on what mattered most to me and I realized like I need to be mission driven and I need to work for companies and I need to honor that part of myself or else I'm not going to be happy and engaged in my job and in, or in my life. And, um, and so I think this has been a situation where most humans have had to do that and, or, or are doing that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Lots and of people so, who went home and spent time with their children and realized, I don't want to go back to work. I want to, I like this, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, you know, there are, I think that has like a lot of, a lot of people right now, I think the scary part is we're like trying to reimagine, like, what does life look like? You know, now I know what I have these needs and wants, but what am I, how's this all going to play out? Can it play out in a way that, you know, I can do the things that I want to do. And so I think that's, yeah. that's like the million dollar question that we're all sitting around waiting, like, who's going to figure this out? And like, how do we, how do we crack the nut? Yeah, I, I think the, I guess one common thread between um, the two answers that you'll just gave is the idea of empowering the employee to kind of like, you know, craft the life that they want and craft the work experience that they want in to your point, Stephen, I don't know if maybe some companies have figured it out, but I think that that'll be something that 
everyone is working toward the next few years. Like how do we, how do we allow every employee to create their own experience and create an experience that's meaningful to them and allows them to have the things in their life that they value the most. So thanks for playing, <laughs> playing along with that question. Um, question. So we just have a few questions to wrap up Noreen and, and these are the rapid fire questions that we ask at the end of every uh, conversation. So as a chief people officer, what are the three or four metrics that are the most important for you to look at on, you know, a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis? Sure. I would say uh, our pulse check metrics, which we do a pulse check once a month. Um, our, probably our representation metrics. So things like um, gender balance across the firm, across levels, things like that. Um, education backgrounds, nationality, uh, and then hiring metrics. Nice, nice. So we always like to ask our guests, is there anything that you're trying to learn more about? And if so, what's a topic that we should talk about in a future episode of the guests? Like if we could bring on an expert to talk about one thing, what's something you'd be really excited to learn to hear about? Well, I'm definitely interested now if anyone cracks the code on the question we were just discussing. Um, I think also as we're, as we're starting to head back to work, I'm thinking more about like what are what are creative and, and proven ways of supporting our staff and their their mental health and wellness. Like I think this has just been such a a, a hard time for so many people, and I think also operating in a global context like mental health and and wellness um, topics can be um, they're they're different. Um, yeah, and so yeah, something that we're, we're thinking more about. Yeah, no, that's, that's something that we hear a lot actually. Uh, so we'll definitely have to bring someone on that, you know, has, has it all figured out, um, or at least has some things that they've tried that are, you know, working. So if we had to have one, two people onto the show, is there anybody that, that you think we should reach out to? It would be mm. good. Yeah. So many, but, um, I am going to go with um, a good friend of mine. Her name is Anne Wild Serpenti, and she's the vice president of people at a company called Lob, which is based in San Francisco. She's fantastic. Awesome. Perfect. We're going to have to reach out to her. <laughs> awesome. You won't regret well, it. Nor- yeah. Well, Noreen, thank you so much for joining. Um, I really enjoyed listening to your story. I felt like I was one of the audience members when I was listening for those first you know, 15 minutes. Incredible story. We really loved having you on. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Thanks so much, much for having Noreen. me. Thanks, Talk to Stephen. you later. Thanks, Daniel. Bye. 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 Thanks for, for tuning in to another episode of The Modern People Leader. We, we really, really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And connect with us on LinkedIn. We want to we wanna know what you think about the show. And uh, yeah, you can, you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes. So thanks again for listening and, and see you on the next episode.